after number six. For those that are here this morning, let's go ahead and stand together. And for those of you that might be watching, let's go ahead and stand in honor of the reading uh, of God's word. Show our children it's still important, even though uh, we may not be here together. Second Kings chapter six, we're going to read several verses, a little more than usual. Uh, but what I'd like to do is uh, give you the context for the message this morning. Second Kings chapter number six, look down to verse number eight. The Bible says, then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, in such and such a place shall be my camp. He's giving them his plans of what he's going to do to try to sneak up on Israel. Verse 9 says, and the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. He's giving him the inside information that he's received from God. The king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there, not once nor twice. This happened multiple times where God's man warned God's people of impending danger. Now watch what happens in verse number 11. The king is getting frustrated. It says, therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He's looking to root out the traitor. All right, who is giving the inside information? He's saying there's no way that they could be this lucky to figure out where we're going to be at. And so who is a traitor amongst us? And watch the reply of the servants in verse 12. One of his servants says, none, my Lord, O king, Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. He says their secret weapon is the prophet Elisha. And Elisha is telling uh, the king all that you plan to do. Now verse 13 will begin our main context this morning. One of my favorite in all of scripture. The Bible says, and he says, go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he, speaking of the king, thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Now watch what he's about to see. The Bible says, And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to give us what we need in this message. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that what we just read is not a fairy tale, and we see your power on full display. And Father, we're asking for that in our country this morning. We're asking for your power and your hand to work, and help us to see what we can do that we might have that power, and to have you work in our situation that we're in today. Bless all that will be in, uh, in the listening, Lord, of this message. I pray your Holy Spirit would stir hearts. I pray the lost would be convicted about their situation and be saved, and the saved would turn back to you that we might have your hand on us again. And we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> when you read in 2 Kings chapter number 6, you can see this really frustrated king of how he prepares to go to war, and every time he gets ready to go to war, he finds Israel is always prepared for him. 
There's no plan that he could come up with. Seemingly that Israel doesn't figure out what he's going to do and where he's going to be. And so the king calls all of his servants in. He says, okay, I want to know who the traitor is. Surely one of you is, is giving out these military secrets. And the servants answer, tell him that it's not a traitor. It's actually Elisha. Elisha the prophet hears from God even things that you say in your bedchamber. And Elisha goes to the king of Israel and tells him what you are doing. And so the king devises a plan that he is going to capture Elisha to try to end this, uh, this secret of intervention in his plans. Now I tell you this morning, I find it kind of funny that the king is going to try and sneak up on the guy who's been telling the king's plans when he tries to sneak up on Israel. It kind of seems redundant, but I think we all do dumb things from time to time. The Bible says that he sent a a troop, an army of men, a large group of men. If you look down in uh, in verse number uh, 14, he sent thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night. Now, here's Elisha and his servant, and they're camping out, and his army surrounds them while they are sleeping. Now, I want you to try to imagine the scene. Okay, I don't know if they had coffee uh, back during this time, but I figure this servant, as a good servant would, is getting up in the morning and he's going to fetch some water to make coffee for Elisha. That's what good servants and good friends do for other people is they make coffee for them. So I have a feeling if they had coffee, that's exactly what he's doing. He's going to get some water and he walks out of his tent in the morning and he's got the coffee pitcher there. And he looks around and the hills are surrounded with an army. I want you to try to imagine that this morning as he walks out and he looks and there is the an army. And it's not just any army, it's the army of his enemy, and they have him completely surrounded. Now, I'm just going to tell you, if it were me, I probably would have thought I was still dreaming, and maybe my eyes were still just a little bit, you know, I had those eye boogers in there and needed to clean those out, and I'm going to go back into the tent, and I'm going to start over, and I'm going to walk right back out, and everything's going to be gone, and he walks right back out of the tent. Now, this is hypothetical, okay? This is not in the Bible. Don't go looking for it. You're not going to find it, okay? He walks right back out of the tent, and the army is still there. Now think about this. When he went to bed the day before, everything was fine. He goes to bed. He has a good night's rest. He gets up in the morning. And in this morning, it's not so much a normal day. Everything has changed. And he finds himself there, very vulnerable, surrounded by the conquering uh, army of an enemy. I want you to think about that scenario this morning. I believe we can relate to this scenario. I believe it's very familiar to all of us. Just a couple of weeks ago, we all sat in here together, and this room was filled, and there were people up in the choir, and our children's church was going on, our Spanish church was going on next door. I was preparing to come out of my office, getting ready to come to the platform. The choir line was there, and we're lining up, cutting up with each other, joking before we come out and act off spiritual for you that are out here. And that was just two weeks ago. This morning we wake up and it's a totally different day. Everything has seemingly changed. And this morning we wake up a lot like this servant. We wake up to a new day. It's a different world. Things are not the way that we found them just a few days or a few weeks ago. And we, just like this servant, are finding ourselves surrounded by an enemy. 
I have a picture that I want to show you. I've been keeping up with this website every day. Uh, is this going to be queued up on the live stream? We'll be able to see this great. This is a picture that I go to every day, and it's a map of our world. And when you look at this map, you, you see these little red dots, and some are larger than others. And the smallest of those red dots represent dozens and dozens and even hundreds of cases, confirmed cases of the coronavirus. When you look at some of the larger circles, such as the ones in Italy and Iran, these are cases that represent tens of thousands of people that have the coronavirus. And you look all over our world, and we are surrounded by an enemy that seemingly was not here just a few days ago. And now that enemy has come right to our doorstep. Just as in the case of this servant, the enemy is there. The enemy was distant, and now he has come all the way to where he's at. And It's a totally different world than the one that he went to bed with just a few days before. I remember very clearly, we could go to Walmart and you could get whatever you wanted in just about any amount you wanted, and yet I went this week and there's not a whole lot left in the meat department or the cheese department. Even the cheese product, which is just that, you know, that pretend cheese is not there anymore. And you know it's bad times when there's not even a cheese product there, that pretend cheese. And I feel bad now for making jokes about the twist and shout Oreos because there's not even any twist and shout Oreos left in Walmart anymore. It's a different world that we're living in. The truth of the matter is, you and I, as the people of God, we have to deal with this new day. God knew that we would be alive, and God knew that this virus was coming, and God has us, as he did, I believe, as Esther, in such a time for this. He has us in this place at this time, and we've got to deal with this new day that we're living in. Now, it's uncharted territory, I will tell you that. Uh, As has been said on social media so many times, I have never pastored through a pandemic Faster through a few other natural disasters, but never through a pandemic. And this is uncharted territory, but here's what I want us to take solace in this morning. There are people who have been to where we are this morning. And God in his love and his providence has preserved the stories of those and the accounts of those who have been to this uncharted territory. And he has left the accounts of how they dealt with the new day for us to be able to follow. So this morning we're going to look at this subject of dealing with a new day. And I want to give you four things this morning that I think will help us deal with this new day that we're in. Because regardless of our circumstances... Understand, we are still called to be the church. We are still called to be that city on a hill, to be that light unto the world. And we've got to deal with these circumstances and what an opportunity we have to be a witness. And I believe Elisha's servant is going to show us how to walk through this valley to find something beautiful. The first thing I want you to notice, look down if you will. The Bible says in verse number 15, When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. The first thing that I want you to notice this morning is the frightening reality that he faced. The frightening reality that he faced. Now, think about this. He wakes up and he's surrounded and he finds a world totally different than the one that he had when he went to bed. And I think we can all can relate to that this morning uh, and relate to that experience. The word that I have heard mentioned so many times lately is unreal. 
It almost seems unreal, the world that we're living in. It's such uncharted territory and unprecedented times. But understand, we have to deal with this. God has left us as his church here in this place for such a time as this, but we've got to deal with the frightening reality that we face. We cannot be an ostrich. I told my wife, I am an optimist. You know that. The glass is always half full. I believe Christians ought to be optimists. But you know there's a difference in an optimist and an ostrich. An optimist is hopeful in spite of the facts that he foresees. An ostrich sticks its head in the ground. Can I give you a little tidbit that really has nothing to do with the message I learned this week in study? Do you know ostriches do not hide their head in the sand for fear? They hide their head in the sand to stir the eggs that they have that are underground to kind of keep them cool and to rotate them. They've gotten such a bad rap all these years for hiding their head in the sand. And I think we need to, uh, uh, we not to be such offensive to ostriches by saying they hide their head in the sand. But folks, can I tell you something? The reality is we face a world that is in danger. The reality is we face a world this morning where the threat has come to our doorstep and we must deal with the frightened reality that we face. And that we face. I want to tell you something. It's very uncomfortable. I mean, it's uncomfortable preaching to a, a room with just a few people in it. It's uncomfortable preaching to more people that are watching through a camera. It's uncomfortable worrying about going out in public and, and worrying about inhaling a germ that you could carry to others and make them sick. It's very uncomfortable. But can I tell you this morning, there can be something good coming out of the frightening reality that we face. What is it? Well, I'll tell you. Here's what it is. Reality has a way of helping us see ourselves the way that we are. Reality has a way of helping us to see ourselves the way that we really are. Now imagine this servant. When he went to bed, look, he's the companion of Elisha, the powerful man of God. And look, if you're hanging out with Elisha, I would not feel very vulnerable. That's like some of the men in our church, Brother Steve Grove and uh, Brother Kenneth Clark. I mean, these men are, are very muscular men. And uh, I would not feel at all intimidated walking around town, even the worst parts of town, with those men. Why? Because they're going to take care of this puny little preacher. But let me tell you something. If I'm by myself, the tables have turned, and I'm going to feel vulnerable. Now imagine how this servant feels. He walks out of his tent, and all of a sudden he's compassed about. He's surrounded with this threat that has come to his front door. I imagine all of a sudden he feels vulnerable. I imagine all of the sudden he begins to feel small. I imagine all of the sudden he begins to feel insufficient. And can I tell you the truth? He always was. He always was. That's who he was to begin with. It just took adversity for him to realize just how frail he was. And can I tell you something this morning? We all have that same tendency to forget just how frail we are. We are self-sufficient. We are self-reliant. We are self-confident. And I believe during this time of adversity, listen, adversity can be one of the best reality checks that you could ever have in life. Because adversity is going to show you who you really are. And folks, I want you to know, the church is fixing to find out who the church really is. Because this adversity is going to help us see who we are and who we are not. I was reading last night uh, in the book of Proverbs. 
And uh, every once in a while, I have, I, you'll, you'll run over a verse, and it just speaks to you in ways that maybe I hadn't spoken to you before. And I came running in the kitchen to tell my wife, I said, Proverbs 21 2. And she says, What? And I began quoting Proverbs 21 2. Well, the Bible tells us that, that we think that uh, all the ways, our ways in our own eyes are right. We, we see ourselves and the best of ourselves. We don't see the fragile parts of ourselves and who we really are. But folks, can I tell you something? John 15, 5, the Bible says without him, without God, without Christ, we can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, the Bible says we bear much fruit. But without him, we can do nothing. And I believe during this time of adversity, it's a cruel reality check. But let me tell you, this adversity is going to show us just how frail we are and just how much we need God. So if there's something positive that can come out of this, it's the truth that we are not what we think we are outside of Christ. Philippians 4.13 tells us that I can do all things through Christ. We forget the second half of that verse. I can through Christ. The truth is, outside of Christ, we are very frail people. And sometimes it takes adversity to reveal that to us. Several years ago, I say several because I was probably a teenager, I was in Cody, Wyoming, and they had this hot sauce shop that I wanted to go in. I took the other guys that were with us, some preacher friends of mine were there with us. We were teenagers, and now many of those are pastoring, and what a blessing it is to have good friends. We went in this store, and they had the third hottest hot sauce in the world. And I said, I want to try that. I can handle that. I'm a southern boy. I'm a man. And uh, that's not going to bother me. And so the nice young lady had this big Grinch grin on her face when she said, sure. How kind of her. She was going to let me try it for free. She pulls out a tortilla chip, puts it on there, squirts it on that chip. And she says to me, here you go. Just have at it. And I ask her this question. And she says, I ask her, is this going to hurt me? She says to me, only if you are a wimp. I want you to know something swelled up inside of me all of a sudden. I don't think it was of God. It was pride. And I said to myself, look, I'm a real man. You know, I can handle this. I grew up in the South. We're real men. Listen, you guys out there in Cody, Wyoming, you have cowboys. But here in the South, we are real men. And I says, give it to me. I took the whole, she said, don't eat the whole thing, just take a bite. I said, no, I can handle the whole thing. And I threw it in my mouth. I'm chewing it up. Everything seems fine, but there was a delayed reaction to the hot sauce. In just a moment, my mouth is on fire. It's spreading within my mouth, and I'm trying to contain it. But all of a sudden, watch this, the burn, and I'm not talking about Sanders, the burn overwhelmed my boasting The adversity of that hot sauce helped me realize really quick that I was not what I thought I was, but it took adversity for me to realize that. Now, folks, can I tell you this morning, we are facing a frightening reality, and none of us feel at home. None of us feel comfortable with this, but allow this time of adversity to show us who we really are. We are incapable, we are insufficient, and we are weak without God. Give you a verse to remember, jot this one down, Proverbs 24, 10. The Bible says, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. If thou faint in the day of what? Adversity. Thy strength is small. 
I told my wife last night, it's amazing when you read this verse, it's adversity that reveals to us who we really are. It's not the good times that reveal who we are. It's not the times of plenty that reveal who we are. It's the times of adversity when we face a frightening reality that is camped out on our doorstep that we realize who we really are. Without God, we're nothing, and we're weak. That's why the Bible says if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. You want to measure your strength, you measure it in times of adversity. God says that's who you really are. I've been trying to walk a little bit, had a little extra time here. It's my wife and daughter and I, and sometimes the coats we've been walking together uh, around our community and trying to, you know, keep this slim girl-like figure that I have that I don't become a fat preacher. And um, I feel like I'm in good health. I really do. I feel like I'm in shape. And then we're walking around the community, and I did not know on the backside of our community there's a hill. And boy, I begin to realize as I'm going up that hill that I'm not as in much shape as I thought I was. What happened? Well, I found out how healthy I was when I started to climb a hill. He said, well, I feel healthy. Yeah, I'm sure you do, sitting on the couch eating Cheetos, all right? That's not how we measure how healthy we are. We measure how healthy we are in times of struggle. In times of difficulty. And that hill taught me that I'm not as healthy as I think I am. All throughout scripture we see that God uses adversity to remind us of just how frail we are. In Hosea chapter 2 we read about how Israel forgot God. They forgot that their blessings came from God. And how Israel, the Bible says, went a-whoring and chased her lovers and uh, denying and leaving behind the one who had blessed her with all that she had to begin with. In Hosea chapter 2, the Bible says that God says, I'm going to hedge you about with thorns. I'm going to make your way difficult, God says. God says, I'm going to put some obstructions in your path. I'm going to make it prickly. I'm going to make it hard for you to realize who you are and just how frail you are without me. As I look at that map, when I look at those little red dots, it's hard not to see the thorns that God is hedging us about with. God is helping us to realize just how frail we are and just how much we need him. Folks, I don't like this time. I don't enjoy this time. I'll be honest with you, there are times my heart has skipped a few beats and my heart has raced a little. When I look down at my daughter and I think about my wife and food we have in the counters and our cabinets are full, but going to Walmart and you see people that are panicking and some people are not very self-reliant. Some people are very dependent upon others and that's when things get out of hand and chaos ensues and it's a frightening time and I don't like it. Why don't we let this time of a frightening reality show us just how small we are and just how much we need God? By the way, that's what led me to be saved. I didn't like it when as a nine-year-old child, the preacher takes out the word of God and reads Romans 3.23 and shows me that I'm a sinner. I didn't like it when he showed me that there's none righteous, no, not one. I didn't like it when he showed me uh, that the Bible says the wages of sin is death. I didn't like that. It didn't feel good. But through facing that grim and frightening reality, it made me turn to one that was sufficient enough to save me. So number one, how do we deal with this new day? Well, it begins with a frightening reality. The second thing is quite interesting. Notice what the servant does in verse 15. Notice what he does. The Bible says, And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? 
how shall we do? The master is, he's going to Elisha, says, what are we going to do? With this frightening reality that's in front of us, he doesn't know what to do. And the Bible says that he's afraid because Elisha tells him to fear not. But here's what's interesting. Through this frightening reality, we see him start searching for answers. You see something else that can come out of this, number two this morning. Notice the fearful reply that followed. The fearful reply that followed. You see, the frightening reality made the servant go search out something that was more sufficient than himself. Can I tell you this morning that our overwhelming insufficiency at this time, we are facing and fighting an enemy, as the president has said so many times, that we cannot even see the whole world has been put on pause Industries have been shut down. People are quarantined in their home. Businesses have stopped. Life has come to a standstill. Why? Because of a frightening reality. But what is that frightening reality doing? Well, it's provoking a fearful reply. Our insufficiency has kind of become the catalyst for us to search for answers and to search for something that is sufficient. I believe there'll be people turned to God through this who may not have otherwise decided to do so. I don't like sufficiency. It's very frightening and it's very humbling. But can I tell you this morning, if the frightening reality of this moment caused us to seek out a sufficiency that can only be found through God, could I tell you this morning it's worth it? It's worth the bread shortage. It's worth no meat on the counters in Walmart. Listen, it's worth having to stay at your home. It's worth whatever inconvenience comes our way if it makes us reply with seeking out a sufficiency that we can only find with God. It would be worth it. All throughout Scripture, we see people who at one point or another in their life, they sought out God. There's a lot of seekers in the Bible. I'll give you three right quick. The first, remember, in the book of Mark, the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years. Remember her? The Bible says that she had this issue of blood, and she had dealt with it and seen many doctors. And the Bible says she spent all and was nothing bettered. Now notice how dire her situation is becoming. She had spent all and was nothing bettered. She had almost reached checkmate in the game of life. I don't know if some of you remember, uh, you folks that were born in the 80s, remember Tetris? Remember that? Amen, Brother John Lapone, he remembers that. He's, uh, he's one of those guys. Remember Tetris where you stack the blocks? And after a while, you're playing the game. If you're like me, I'm not even good at that. My wife is really good at that. And you're stacking the blocks and trying to spin them around. And if you don't do it fast enough, they stack all the way to the top, and the game is over, and you die. Well, that's how this woman was. She had tried everything, couldn't find the right combination for a cure, and now it's almost over. But what did she do in this time of insufficiency? She sought out Christ. Notice the catalyst of her seeking out the sufficiency that could only be found in Christ came from the realization that she was frail and insufficient of herself to meet her need. Oh, if we would only realize that in America this morning, that we are frail, we are insufficient. It's amazing to me when you read that passage. The Bible says she spent all. Money could not help her. She threw all the money she had at it, and it could not resolve her situation. And she had to turn to God. And all that we as Americans would realize that this morning. 
The sufficiency that we need will only come from God. We read about Jairus, whose daughter was deathly ill. The Bible uses the words, these words, she was at the point of death. Doesn't just say Jairus' daughter was sick with a cold. Doesn't say Jairus' daughter just had a minor ailment. The Bible uses the word she was at the point of death. What did Jairus do? Jairus says, I've got to go find Jesus. I can't help my daughter. I don't have the answer for this. I can't shield her from this. I can't raise her up. But I've heard of one that can. And Jairus sought out Christ. I'll tell you what scares me is I cannot prevent this virus from getting to my daughter. I can't put her in a bubble. Germs are microscopic. You never know. They could come through the mail. But I'm so thankful there's one that I can go to who can do for her and can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. But we've got to allow our insufficiency motivate us to seek out the sufficiency of God. And that's exactly what it did for this servant. He asked the question, how shall we do? What are we going to do? All over this country and all over this world right now, there are people asking the question, what are we going to do? What a marvelous opportunity for the church to point them to the sufficiency that they'll only find in God. But we've got to have that for ourselves. The Bible tells us about the centurion's servant. The Bible says he was grievously tormented and he sought out Christ. Can I tell you this morning, if you're going to deal with this frightening new day that we are living in, and it's a totally new world, you're going to have to find out and seek out the sufficiency that can only be found in God. I've heard this phrase a lot the last few days and weeks. The phrase that we are in dire straits. And you know me, I love looking up words, and I love looking up what words mean and where they come from and the etymology of those things. And I looked up the term dire straits and where it came from. Again, do a lot of reading about it. And a straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, a straight is a narrow passage of water between two bodies of water. It's a narrow, small passage of water between two bodies of water, and it's usually very treacherous and very shallow. And so as you go from one body of water to another body of water, you sometimes have to pass through a strait. And that strait is narrow, and that strait is treacherous, and that strait could cost you everything. So you must make the right decisions when you're in the strait in order to survive. Now here's where those terms come from, where we believe they come from. Lamentations chapter 1. I want you to go ahead and turn there with me if you don't mind. Lamentations chapter number 1. I want to read this for you and I want you to see this. Now folks, you're already at home or most of you are. So you don't have to worry about getting out early to go home because you're already there. So I should be able to preach a little bit longer, right? Everybody amen at your TV right now. Amen. Thumbs up and and heart it. That way my wife can get the paddles and say, no frowny faces, all right? None of those mean, angry faces while we're preaching because that could be surely discouraging, all right? Be not afraid of their emoji faces. We could add that to it. Lamentations chapter number one. Look at verse number one. The Bible says, how doth the city sit solitary? Now think about that. We're not talking about America. How doth the city sit solitary? We're talking about Jerusalem. Now, look, I know America and Jerusalem and Israel are not the same, but America could learn a lot from Israel. The Bible says, how doth the city sit solitary? There's Hattiesburg. Our city sits solitary. There's nobody moving about. That was full of people, exclamation point. 
How has she become as a widow, she that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces? How has she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks among all her lovers. She hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Watch verse 31. I mean, verse 30, I'm sorry, verse, 30, uh, verse 3. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction. And because of great servitude, she dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. This is the origin of our term being in dire straits. We've come to a narrow passage, a treacherous passage. This verse is speaking about the desolation of Jerusalem and the captivity that would follow. Why? Because they didn't make the right decision in the straits. I believe this morning, look, you don't have to be a theologian to look around and you can tell that America is in the straits this morning. I don't believe it's permanent. I believe it's a narrow passage between two bodies of water, but we must make the right decision in the straits or we're not going to survive. And the right decision in the straits is at this time, we look up to God and say, how should we do? What do we do? God, this is beyond us. We're surrounded and we cannot fight this enemy. We are insufficient. And so we turn to God with a fearful reply, asking God for what we should do. It's amazing you look at Jewish culture to this day. The Jews still observe the time of the straits. They still observe this time where they're between the straits. It's three weeks, if I'm not mistaken, in the month of July. It's three weeks that they mark the desolation of the temple at Jerusalem, and they call it ben Mitzarim. Here's what's interesting. You read about this time where they observe the time between the straits. Here's what they do. They do not shop. They don't buy things. They don't build homes. They fast, and they cry out to God. When they observe the time between the straits, a three-week period, they get progressively more intense. They don't go shopping. They don't buy things. They don't go out for entertainment. They don't even sing songs. They don't build houses. They fast and they cry out to God as an observation of the time that Israel was between the straits. What a good prescription for the church this morning. We're between the straits. We're in a narrow passage. I don't believe it's permanent. But in order for us to make it to the other body of water, to get from where we were to where God would have us to be, we're going to have to make the right decisions in the midst of the straits. I used to teach a Wednesday night class to boys at my dad's church years ago. And uh, I used to love telling those boys, we are Americans, not Americans. I'm thankful to live in this country. I'm thankful for the blessings and the freedom and the liberty God's blessed us with here in this country. And I, I think we will all probably appreciate them a little more after this subsides by the grace of God. And I try to tell those young men, we are Americans. We are strong. We are resilient. I used to love to tell them, figure it out. They would have a problem in life, figure it out. That's what Americans do. But can I tell you that America's strength and resilience and capability was because we were with God. We were Americans because we were with God. Because with God, the Bible says in Luke that all things are possible. We had a resilience and a capability. And we had a resolve. Why? Because we were with God. 
We're walking around with our Elisha. There was no reason to fear. But can I tell you this this morning? We're Americans with God, but we will become Americans without him. If we do not walk with God and during this time of being between the straits, turn back to God and ask God, how shall we do? What do we do here, God? We are insufficient to combat the need that is facing our doorstep at this very moment. If we do not turn back to God, we will become Americans and we will lose our capability. We will lose our strength and our resiliency. Second Chronicles chapter 33 there's something, I don't want to go too, too late this morning, but we need to hear the whole message of what God sent. So just bear with us. Second Chronicles 33, turn there with me if you will. I want you to see something. In Second Chronicles chapter number 33, we see something we could all learn from this morning in the life of Manasseh. Second Chronicles 33, I'm just going to skip through this chapter, and I want you to walk through it with me. And let's see if we can see ourselves. Second Chronicles 33, the Bible says Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. Can you imagine becoming king at only 12? And the Bible says he reigned 50 and 5 years. But notice what he did in verse 2. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen. Notice the king began to gravitate toward the world. We see that often, don't we? The Bible says in verse number 3, he built again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. Verse 4 says he built altars in the house of the Lord. Look at verse 5. He built altars for all the host of heaven, all the idol worship. Verse 6, and he caused his children to pass through the fire. This is the fire of Molech. They would sacrifice their children. Verse number 7, he set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God. He brought a filthy idol into the house of God. Verse number eight, neither, the Bible says here, neither will I anymore remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them. God's about to get their attention. Watch verse number 10. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Look, I love our country, but I believe our country has had the opportunity at verse 10 to where God has spoke to his people, but we have not hearkened. Verse 11, watch what it says, wherefore, that means as a result, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. Watch verse 12, when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord. When did he seek the Lord? When he was in affliction. He didn't answer God's call when God spoke to him in verse 10. And so God finally allowed adversity and calamity to come to his doorstep to where he, the king, was taken in shackles and dragged through the streets. And the Bible says, and when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God. And humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Can we see what's happening here? Finally, there's a fearful reply. 
Finally, Manasseh is not as big as Manasseh thought he was. Finally, Manasseh realizes just how frail he is and how insufficient he is. And finally, in his insufficiency, we see a fearful reply of him calling out to God again. And if it takes that for America, if it takes that for our church, then this morning it's worth every moment of adversity that we're going to face through this for us to beseech the Lord again and to cry out to God. Remember, that's the way that I got saved. I saw my insufficiency. I saw how small and incapable I was to save myself. Then I was a sinner, and the wages of my sin was death. What did it make me do? It made me call out to God because he was sufficient to meet the need. It's the best thing that ever happened in my life. Back in 2 Kings chapter 6, let's look at something as we move on to the third thing of how to deal with this day. We've got to deal with it. We can't stick our head in the sand. We've got to be the people of God and seize this opportunity. The tone is about to change. We started with the worst two, and we're going to end on a happy note. So this will be a great time to get your uh, thumbs up and your heart emojis ready, okay? Because it's going to get better from here on out, okay? You can quit making the mean emojis while I've been preaching. Shame on you for doing that. We look down to verse 15. He asked, alas, my master, how shall we do? Can you see the panic? Can you see the panic? I mean, if he was living our day and age, he probably would have went and bought a family-sized pack of Charmin toilet paper. What that would have done, I don't know, but evidently it's a comfort. Maybe people just hug them. That's what it is. They say it's huggably soft. Maybe we have figured it out live on the air. The reason people have been gathering all this toilet paper is so they'll have something to hug and to hold in this time. Glad we could help you with that. Aren't you glad you tuned in past 12 o'clock? Verse 16. The Bible says that he answered, speaking about Elisha. Now get ready. The mood is about to change. I love this next part. And he says, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now what I want you to see is how there is no hesitation in what Elisha is about to tell him he needs to do. Elisha has zero doubt and zero worry on exactly what he needs to do. Now here's what I want you to understand this morning. That as the church, you are going to be either Elisha or you're going to be his servant. Either you're going to have a fearful reply or you're going to respond as Elisha did. And number three, have a faithful response to fear. A faithful response to fear. Wednesday, I told you that a reaction is often a natural reflex. A reaction is just, you know, when you go to the doctor and he takes that little hammer and he, he hits you on the leg. You know, that's just a reaction. That's a reflex. It just happens naturally. We don't need to react in fear to what's going on. We need to respond. A response is a prepared reply. That means you are ready to face what's coming your way. You are prepared to respond to the adversity that you're facing. And I want you to know, Elisha didn't decide what he was going to do in verse 16. Elisha's mind was already made up in who he was trusting in. Now, can I tell you this morning, you know what adversity will do? It'll make you figure out real quick who you're trusting in. Adversity will make you figure out real quick what you can cling to. Adversity will make you real quick figure out what solid ground is and what is frivolous and what is fleeting. Elisha says, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Here's a thought I want you to remember. Elisha's certainties overshadowed his circumstances. Elisha's certainties overshadowed his circumstances. 
Can I tell you, we cannot change our circumstances, but we can make sure we have certainties to face those circumstances. Elisha was already certain who he was going to trust in and the power of the one he was looking to, and he looks at the arm and he's not worried. He's not fearful. Why? Because he was certain about who he was trusting in. Just the other night, I was laying in bed and heard a noise. I didn't know what it was, but as the brave, valiant husband that I am, went out to protect my family. And so, laying there on my bedside table, I have a nice pistol that uh, Brother Bickham has, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Brother Benham has let me borrow. And so, I pulled the pistol out of the holster, got up out of bed, and started walking out of the room. My daughter, uh, my wife says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to figure out what the noise was. She says, what was it? I said, I don't know what the noise was, but I'm going to find out. And so I walk to the living room, and I've got, it's got a nice little red laser light on it. Isn't that fun? Just makes it a little bit more dangerous feeling when you've got a red laser on it. And I'm walking through the house, looking around here, looking around here. Now, I did not know what I was going to face when I got in there. A robber, communist, maybe the Russians. Who knows? I did not know what I was going to face when I got in there. But here's what I did know. I did know what I was carrying. And I did know that what I was carrying could handle whatever was waiting on me in the kitchen. I didn't care how big or bad they were. I knew that what I was carrying with me was capable of overcoming the unknown threat. Now, can I tell you something this morning? As a child of God, listen, if your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life and God's your God, listen to me, what you've got this morning can handle anything you're going to face, whether you know what it is, whether you can see what it is or not. There's no need to be fearful. There's no need to be panicked. Why? Because the one that is with us is more than the one that's with those unknown and unseen germs that we're facing. The Bible gives us many examples of those who had certainties that overshadowed their circumstances. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They'd never been in a fiery furnace before. They were facing a threat that they'd never faced before. I want to be honest with you. I might would have a fearful reply rather than a fateful response to a fiery furnace. And yet, what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say when the king gave them another opportunity to turn back and, and to recant God? They said, oh, king, we're not careful. We're not worrisome to answer this. They said, if be so, our God is able to deliver us. Notice the fiery furnace and the heat that was surely radiating off that fiery furnace. It did not shake their faith because they knew what they were certain about could handle the things that they were uncertain about. As a child of God this morning, we have certainties that will overshadow our circumstances. Real quickly, think about Paul. My goodness, did Paul face adversity? You're reading Corinthians about all the times he was shipwrecked, beaten with rods, and hungered. I mean, in perils of his own countrymen, in perils and perils and perils. And yet the apostle Paul was unfazed. Matter of fact, in Acts 20, he says, but none of these things move me. The uncertainties of adversity couldn't move him. Why? Well, you read the apostle Paul. We sing about it. I don't know if you realize it's a song. The apostle Paul says, for I know whom I have believed. He says, I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. He was persuaded of his God. He was certain about his God. And what he understood and what he held certain overshadowed all the circumstances that he would face in his service to God. Job faced adversity. Job put it this way. I know that my Redeemer liveth 
and that he shall stand at the latter day. Job, how do you face losing 10 children, all of your property, your wife turns her back, and your friends turn their back? How do you face that? Job says it's because of what I know. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day. You see, his certainties overshadow his circumstances. I don't know what Corona is going to bring to this church. I pray that we bring everybody back safely in the fold when we meet again. But I fear we could lose some that are not committed. What is it going to do to the church finances and our support of missionary? I don't know. There's things I don't know that I'm uncertain about. But what I am certain about overshadows what I don't know. And I'm going to go with what I know. Just as Job and Paul and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Verse 16, it says, And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Can I tell you, 2 Timothy tells us that our God, by the way, I hope he's yours. Because as we sang about a moment ago, in times like these, you better have a God like I got. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, verse number 7, that our God hath not given us the spirit of fear. If you have fear, you didn't get it from your God because he doesn't pass out fear. You better be traveling this journey of uncertainty and overwhelming odds. You better be traveling with one who's not passing out fear because that's the last thing you need right now. My wife and daughter and I flew a lot in the last couple of years, and uh, we've been judging the airlines based on the food they serve. It always goes back to food. You know that with me. And some of you are probably even eating during the service. And shame on you because I can't do that. But you can enjoy it. But do not bring it back in service when you come back together. All right? Write that down. My wife and I are trying to pick airlines to go on a trip here or there before all of this broke loose. And can I tell you that I was looking at different airlines based on what they served during the flight. You know, some of these airlines, they just serve water uh, and peanuts. That's old school. I mean, come on. They've been serving that since 1963. But they got this new, one of these airlines, I think it's American. They serve these neat little wafers called Stroopwafels. I don't know if you've ever had one. But I think they're closely related to manna. It's this little bitty circle. It's like a flat waffle. And on the inside of it is this gooey sweet stuff. I don't know what it is, but it, it's got to be milk and honey. That's got to be what it is. It's milk and honey on the inside. It's wonderful. And as I picked who I was going to travel with, I was picking based on what they were going to give me along the way. Can I tell you, as you prepare to make this journey into the unknown and uncertainty of the coronavirus, you better make sure that the one you're traveling with is not passing out fear. And yet the Bible says he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. But we need that right now. But you better make sure who you're traveling with. Psalms 23, David says, Yea, though I walk through, watch this. David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you know what he's describing? A straight. David is saying, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, when you're going through a straight, the shadows of the cliffs are on every side. And it's perilous. David says, I'm not going to die here. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, I will fear no evil. Why? I'll give you two words. For thou. For thou. David says, I'm not going to be afraid. For thou art with me. Reminds us of Psalms chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. I believe our choir has sung that before. David says, many there be that say of my soul, there's no help with him from God. David says, there's many who say there's no hope and there's no help for me. But what does it go on to say? You know the song well in verse number three. But thou, but thou, 
David says, thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. My personal pronoun. My glory and lifter of my head. He keeps my head up through this. You notice David faced the valley with a faithful response of who he was trusting in. The only way this morning that you're going to deal with this new day is with a faithful response. The answer for the fear of death is a faithful response turned to God. The answer for, for a faithful, uh, to, the answer for an uncertain time is that faith in Christ. It's the same answer. The last thing is probably my favorite. When you look down at the end of verse 15, he says, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answers, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes. I'll be honest, I'm sure when the servant heard him say they, he's thinking to himself, they? It's just me and you. We're all alone. There's nobody else here, and maybe Elisha did not do well on math, and he's having trouble counting. But in verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, you see the roots of his assurance is the fourth way to deal with this day. Number four, it's a firm reliance on the Father. A firm reliance on the Father. Elisha was unshaken. He was unafraid. He was unworried. Why? And boy, if there's something I believe our church needs to hear this morning, it's this. He could see what God was doing behind the scenes. Elijah could see what the servant couldn't see. So what could he see? Well, the Bible says he saw, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Can you imagine the confidence you would have if you could just see what God was doing in all of this? Can you imagine the courage you would have to face a surrounding and encompassing foe that has come to your doorstep not to live in fear? And yet have confidence. Can you imagine the confidence you would have if you could just see what God was doing? And can I tell you this morning in a way of encouragement, God's still on the job. He's not gone anywhere. The servant says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I mean, the servant was in a panic. He didn't realize God was still working behind the scenes. And what he could not see was the mountains full of horses and chariots of fire. I want to go ahead and tell you, so don't log in and ask me on the live stream, what is God doing here? I don't know. I can't tell you what he's doing. But I don't have to know what he's doing to know that God is doing something. You know, faith is not knowing exactly what God is going to do. Faith is simply knowing that God's going to do it, and I'm trusting him for it. That's what faith is. He had a faithful response and a firm reliance on his father. And no matter what you're going through this morning or difficult, difficulty or adversity that you're facing this morning, understand this, that God's working behind the scenes. I've heard a lot of people speculate. It's about to usher in the rapture and the Lord's going to take out the church. How wonderful that would be. But I can't tell you that for sure. Maybe God's preparing revival in America. He's going to get us down so low that we finally have to look up to him. I don't know. But I do know God's working in this. And that God will work in this. But we as his people have to have a firm reliance on our Father in order to deal with this day. I believe that's what got Joseph through. If there was somebody who faced adversity, it was Joseph. He's known what his brothers did to him. Throw him in a pit, sold him in slavery, 
goes to the palace, gets lied about, thrown into prison, gets forgotten in prison. Adversity, 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 adversity. And yet Joseph unwavered in his faithfulness to God. When Potiphar's wife seduced him, he says, how can I sin against God? He said, I got to be faithful through all of this. What do you think it was that motivated Joseph throughout this entire thing? I'll tell you what I believe it was. When it's all said and done, Joseph says to his brothers that you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. I don't think he just came up with that little fortune cookie phrase in that moment. I believe in that moment, you just heard what Joseph had been living by all along. That I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why I'm going through this. I don't understand the adversity. I don't understand it. But God's got a meaning in all of this. And if I will just have a firm reliance on my father, that just like the servant in verse number 17, that you'll see and you'll behold what God was doing. Can I tell you something this morning, folks? That's where the peace that passes understanding comes from. It's not just I'm going to memorize that verse and it's going to be like a rabbit's foot. They don't sell those anymore. It's really politically correct, incorrect, I think. But you you could get those. Miley, did you know you could get those in gumball machines? Rabbit's feet. I mean, that just scares me to death, the thought of that in today's society. You know, thank you, some kind of a weirdo or something. But, you know, the word of God, they're not rabbit's feet that we just hold on to for luck. The quick, living, powerful word of God that we cling to for hope. And the peace that passes understanding, can I tell you where it comes from? I'm going to be done, all right? It's almost time for lunch. You better go to have lunch in just a second. The peace that passes understanding comes from a firm reliance on your father. That's where it comes from. But you've got to decide, I'm sticking with God through this thing. And that way you'll not be worried. You'll not be afraid. You'll be certain in the midst of your circumstances. I believe our world needs to see the light right now. If there was ever a time the church needed to rise and shine, it's right now. This is the time that we're unfearful. This is the time that we're certain. Why? Because we have a firm reliance on our Father. The truth of the matter is simply this today. The secret for temporal security is the same secret for eternal security. Watch close. If you remember how you got saved, that's the same way this morning that we have peace through this entire situation. What happened? Well, there had to be a time in your life where you realized you were frighteningly frail and small and incapable of saving yourself. And then once you realize that, you turn to find sufficiency in the only one who could, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. You cried out to God and you put your faith and trust in him. And now you have eternal security. Can I encourage you of this this morning? Eternal security doesn't start in eternity. It started the day you got saved. And you've got eternal security because back at the day that you trusted Christ, you made a firm reliance on our Father. And if he can get our souls from this life to God's heaven... And he can get us through the uncertainties of this virus that we're about to face. So can I ask you this this morning? I know we have some folks in our building, but more people are watching online than than there are in this building today. Do you have eternal security? Do you realize the Bible says that each and every one of us, we were all born sinners, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. We're all coming short. We're all insufficient. 
And the wages of that sin is death. There's a price for that, and we will pay that price unless we, we accept the price that was paid for us on Calvary by the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is, will you cry out to God and say, how shall we do? What do I need to do? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And you cry out to God, and you, as Paul said, believe. You put your faith and trust in him. If you're saved here this morning, can I tell you something? We can deal with this day. It's a new day. It's a different day. It's not like the day that we had just the night before. We're waking up to a different world and we're surrounded and the threat has come to our doorstep, but we can have a firm reliance on our Father to keep us through this time. I'm going to ask this morning that for all of those watching, even those in the building this morning, that you would have a time of heads bowed and your eyes would be closed. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm going to ask our pianist to come this morning. We're going to have an invitation We've got to deal with this day. Number one, do you know for sure that you're saved? Have you put your faith and hope and the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Nothing added. Through that, you can have eternal security. And if you're here this morning and you know that you're saved, that security will get us through this if we'll just have a firm reliance on our Father. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, I thank you, Lord, for what you did in the life of this servant. Lord, I see myself in the current situation that's facing our country, that's facing our state, our city, and even our homes. It's affecting our church right now. And fathers, we come to you, Lord, I pray that we will look into the eyes of this frightening reality and realize just how frail we are and how small and incapable we are without you. I pray, Father, we would have a frightening reply that we call out to you, asking you, Lord, how shall we do? What do we do? And then we'll have a faithful response